0: Have you ever noticed um, in the events surrounding the birth of Jesus that there's lots of singing? you ever noticed that? Um, if you want to have the Christmas spirit, it's going to lead you to be a singer. You will sing, and you'll sing joyfully. If you want to truly celebrate the fact that God became man in Christ then the Spirit will fill your heart with what Mary was filled with here, magnification of the Lord, and you will sing. You will sing. My desire today is very simple. I want you to be able to say with Mary, and the the opening two lines of, of this text, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. There's lots of singing surrounding the birth of Christ. Think of Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist was born, and on the eighth day when he was circumcised and he was given his name, it says Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and prophesied. And what he did was he sang a prophetic song, declaring God's goodness, certainly in the giving of a son, and in the ministry that John the Baptist would have, but even more so in God's blessing and God's salvation that was to come through the Messiah. Of course, the most well-known song that we think of, and there's a a song that, that is often sung this time of year with the very words of the angels who lit up the sky and appeared to the shepherds. And they sang glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. Could you imagine being those shepherds? I mean, was there ever a greater concert put on in the history of the world? I mean, a host of angels. And it says the glory of the Lord shone around the, the angel of the Lord that first appeared. And then the light, the sky was lit up with hundreds of angels and they declared the glory of God. And just for a few shepherds. I mean, the best concert ever put on was just for a few shepherds and their sheep, of course. And then, of course, after Jesus was born, and it says uh, at the time of purification, uh, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to sacrifice for him. And Simeon, this old man who received a promise from the Lord that he would see... God's salvation. And when Joseph and Mary came in with Jesus, Simeon saw the child and broke out in a song, praising the Lord that he had been given the privilege of seeing the salvation through Christ, this baby. And of course, this text that we're looking at today is a song sung by Mary. It's oftentimes called the Magnificat. It comes from the word magnify my soul, magnifies the Lord. And Mary is singing a song here. She is overjoyed at what God has revealed to her. And I just want to get that across. If we would be awakened to the grace of God through Christ, for the undeserving, we will sing like Mary sings. Now, not long before these words that Mary speaks here in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, Mary had been visited by the angel Gabriel. I I love the way that Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 puts it. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin whose name was Mary. God sent Gabriel on a special assignment. To talk to this young virgin girl. Pretty amazing assignment for the angel of the Lord to come to just a young, lowly, unassuming, obscure virgin. The encounter startled Mary as Gabriel greeted her. The greeting went something like this: Hello, O favored One, you are highly favored of God. She was startled. She said, she thought to herself, what kind of greeting is this? Gabriel went on to inform Mary that God had chosen her graciously to be the mother of the Messiah, of a very special person. In fact, it wasn't just a special person, it was a holy person. It was the eternal Son of God. Now, Mary was thinking what you and I would think. Mary was a young girl, probably between the age of 14 and 18. She was a virgin. And she asked a very good question, a question that should be asked. How is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. How can I give birth to a child? I have not been with a man. And Gabriel goes on to tell her, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The, The shadow of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child that you'll give birth to will be called Holy, the Son of God. Gabriel went on to tell Mary that her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant with a child. Elizabeth was an older woman who was barren, and God had granted her the ability to have a child as well. And this was proof that nothing was impossible with God. I wonder if these words from Gabriel that he spoke to Mary ever left her mind for the rest of her life. Nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's response was one of a humble, faith-filled submission. She, She said, may it be done according to your words to your servant. Now, Mary immediately, well, it doesn't say immediately, but we get this idea that as soon as she could, she made a trip to her cousin Elizabeth. And as soon as she walks in the door, she greets Elizabeth, and the most amazing thing happens. Now, we don't know how long this was, but it wasn't very long. But we we can assume that Mary had conceived this child already, right? The child was conceived in her womb. And when Mary said, hello, Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard her voice, the baby in her womb leaped for joy. And it says Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and began blessing Mary. And I love this line from Elizabeth, it's, she said this, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord. What comes next is this song of Mary and the first two lines. I mean, I spent most of this week thinking about the first two lines. Just amazing. The deepest expression of affection for God. My soul magnifies the Lord. Mary's not talking about just giving lip service to God, not just praising God with a loud voice. She's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. In these two lines, Mary is not trying to differentiate between soul and spirit. She is expressing from the deepest part of her being that her heart is on fire for her Lord. She's doing something more than exalting God with singing or with her lips. Her soul has had an enlarged, a gigantic view of the Lord. Her spirit is full of exceeding joy in God, her Savior. And I wonder just at this moment, Can you say that about yourself? That your soul magnifies the Lord. Your your heart is overflowing with deep and powerful joy in God, your Savior. We can kind of get into a rut and go through the motions and lose sight of the glory and grace and love of our Savior that Mary had an enlarged view of here. And so this morning, I hope that you will get a glimpse of what Mary saw. We know what it's like to magnify something, right? There's two ways to magnify something. You can put something that's really small under a microscope and make it look larger, right? Or a magnifying glass, right? That's one way to magnify something really tiny, make it look bigger with a magnifying glass. There's another way to do it though. It's to point a telescope into outer space and get a better view of these gigantic things that look small to our naked eyes. And I think Mary is expressing that kind of magnification, right? God is enormous, glorious, amazing, and yet there are times we just don't see it. And Mary here saying, I see the Lord as glorious and awesome and magnificent. He is magnified in my soul. The word rejoice means to be exceedingly glad. Mary's heart is like this pent-up dam, and this song is it bursting out in praise. Now the question is, why? Why is Mary so thrilled? What did Mary see that you and I need to see so that we can magnify the Lord and rejoice in the Lord like her? And here's just a little sidebar, okay? Just, just, Just a thought I'd like to plop in your mind right now. I hope you don't read this story and think, or these words of Mary and say, well, of course she was happy. She just got the best news in the world. She's going to be the mother of Jesus, the Savior. We need to be careful that we don't insert our own flowery ideas or thoughts into this story. Like I said, Mary was a young girl, 14 to 18, I got a 14-year-old daughter, I got a 17-year-old daughter, somewhere in there was the age of Mary. She was a virgin, and all of a sudden, she's pregnant. Is any problem with that? First century Palestine, Jewish family, this is not good. And try try to imagine her telling the husband she's betrothed to her story. We know that Joseph didn't buy it, until the angel appeared to him, because Joseph was ready to divorce her. Her parents, I'm sure, thought this sounded like an audacious story. According to the Jewish law, her parents probably thought they at least had the right to stone her. She lived probably the rest of her life with a tarnished reputation as being a woman who had a child out of wedlock. In first, as a first century Jewish woman. This was not an easy thing for her to walk through. Mary had a tough road ahead of her. Not to mention the words of Simeon, Simeon in Luke chapter 2. On the, on the day of purification, they brought Jesus. And like I said, this older man, Simeon, sang this song and blessed the Lord for this child that he got to meet before he died, and then he said these words, this child is for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is to be opposed. And then he looked at Mary and said, and a sword will pierce your heart. I wonder if those words ever left Mary's mind the rest of her life. Is there any doubt that Mary, on the one hand, had the most amazing experience of motherhood, and on the other hand, had the most difficult and challenging and painful experiences of motherhood? I doubt it. She, she certainly did. So, this song is for those who think that life could get no better. If you're in here and you're like, man, life is so good for, for me right now, it could not. I don't know if there's anyone here that would think that. We all have difficulties and hardships. This song, though, is for you to take you up into God so that your heart is magnifying, not in the good things in your life outside of God, but in God himself. And this song is for the the one here who is suffering tremendously. You have a tarnished past. You have a present that seems Very difficult. You don't know if it could get more difficult or you have a future that seems uncertain and scary and produces anxiety. This song is for you. These words where Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. It is for you. So Mary wants to teach us how to magnify the Lord and rejoice in him. And there's three things that Mary, three reasons at least. I, I, I see three reasons in this text. Mary magnifies the Lord, one, for his condescending grace, two, for his rescuing power for the helpless, and three, for his promise-keeping faithfulness. Let's just look at those one at a time. First, for his condescending grace, verse verse 47 to 50. Mary is amazed that God in grace has given Special attention to her. I once heard uh, R.C. Sproul talk about a time he was preaching or he was teaching in a seminary. And he had a class, or he was telling the class um, about grace, what grace is. And he said, Now, class, I've had so many people come up to me and ask me, Why doesn't God just save everyone or reveal himself powerfully to everyone, say, like the Apostle Paul? And R.C. Sproul says, I've never had one person ask me this question. Why has God been gracious to me? Why has he? What did he see in me? Mary is amazed that God has been gracious to her. Now, we see this in the way that Mary refers both to God and to herself. First, notice how she refers to God. She refers to him as Lord. The word Lord here is Kyrios, the Greek word Kyrios, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Adonai, which means sovereign one. She calls him the sovereign one. She calls God her savior. She refers to God as the one who is mighty, and she refers to him as the, the one whose name is holy. Mary did not have a small God complex. She didn't have a little God you can stick in your back pocket and kind of pull out every once in a while to give you a warm fuzzies. Her vision of God was that he was high and glorious and sovereign and mighty and a savior. She had an enlarged view of God, but Mary also refers to herself in very humble terms. She calls, herself, she calls God her savior and by, by doing that, she recognizes that she is a sinner. For only sinners need saviors. Only, only sinners need God to be a savior. She also calls herself God's servant, or literally God's bond slave. Even though Mary was given such a significant and special task from God to be the mother of the Messiah, she doesn't let it go to her head. She sees herself as a lowly servant. And when we think about all this all the all the stories surrounding the birth of Christ, isn't it amazing the people that God chooses to highlight as those that he reveals himself to? It's just stunning. It's amazing. A virgin, a young virgin, a few shepherds out in a field one night. The Magi, these pagans from the East, the most unlikely, the most unassuming, the most obscure, God reveals to show himself to them. And even think about this story. God, Mary comes to Elizabeth, her cousin. On the, it's, it's like the most important three decades in the history of the world is about to start. Right? And who is God hanging out with? Two obscure, lowly women. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's amazing. God is hanging out with a barren woman, Elizabeth, and a young virgin. And Mary is moved by this vision of God, who is the lover of the lowly. And it seems like God has an affinity for showing himself to those who are low and humble, the least likely. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Isaiah 57 15 says this, thus says the the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place and also among the contrite, the one who has a lowly spirit. I dwell in a place that no human being can go, high and holy place, but I do do, I also dwell in a place that's if if you're humble enough and if you're low enough, you're not if you're not too embarrassed to, to stoop down, God will come to you. If you're not too good for grace, he'll come to you. Psalm 138 6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. And this is what Mary says in verse 48. She says, He has looked on or regarded the humble estate of his servant. Mary is so in love with this high and holy God who regards little unimportant people. And isn't that just a relief for us? We can get off our high horse and stop acting like we need to be somebody to get noticed by God. We can just... Forget trying to be this important. I'm, don't, I'm not trying to say we shouldn't have impact or, 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 or have a significant life for the sake of the kingdom. Absolutely. But God loves to show himself to unimportant people. And it's not just that God looked down graciously on Mary, but God came down through Mary, to you and I as well. John 1 says, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. In fact, God becoming man in Christ is the very pinnacle of God stooping low in grace. We don't climb up to God. We don't, we, don't, we don't ascend into heaven. He stoops low and comes to us. And I praise him for that. It is exhausting trying to climb to God. I need him to come to me. I'm just not good enough to make it to him. Paul encourages us in Philippians 2 to be humble. And he says this, Have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And we know from Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus didn't just become somewhat like us. He didn't just appear to be like us. Hebrews 2 says he was made like us in every way. Everyone say every. He was made like us in every way, every single way. And there's a reason for that. There's a purpose for it. So that he might be a merciful and faithful Savior. I love the words of the Christmas hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which say this, Come to earth to taste our sadness, he whose glories knew no end. By his life he brings us gladness, our redeemer, shepherd, friend. Leaving riches without number, born within a cattle stall, this the everlasting wonder, Christ was born. Lord of all. Isn't that, isn't that the glory of this season where we celebrate the birth of Christ? Isn't this the glory that, that God became man? He came to taste our sadness. I love the prophecy in Isaiah 53, which says he was a man of sorrows. I can relate with someone like that. If he was not, I'm not sure I could. If he was just a man who chipper, 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 happy, happy, happy all the time, how could we relate with him? He was a man of sorrows. He came to taste our sad, sadness. Mary magnifies the Lord for his condescending grace. And we should too. Second, Mary magnifies the Lord for his rescuing power for the helpless and the weak. Verses 51 to 53. This child in Mary that Mary's pregnant with signals a radical shift in the power structures of the world, but not in a way we would expect. Mary sings of God's reversal of the world's values so that God's strength and God's wisdom, though it appears to be weakness and foolishness, are magnified. Look at these three statements. Verse 51 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Nebuchadnezzar knew what that was like, right? Remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar? He was the the king of Babylon, mighty Babylon. He thought he had built this empire. And God said, he was told by a prophet, you better humble yourself or God is going to judge you. He wouldn't humble himself. And so God literally scattered his proud mind and the thoughts of his heart. And he became like a beast of the field, insane for a period of time until he humbled himself and realized that God's kingdom rules over all and that his kingdom was given to him by God for God's purposes. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God rescues the humble. The Old Testament history of God's people is full of examples of God removing kings, right? Bringing kings down from their thrones and setting up other kings. The entire Bible seems to say, printed across the entire thing, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Mary's words here in this song are repeated many years later by her son, James, when he wrote the epistle of James, James apparently learned well from his mother. And he said these, when James says these things, these words, the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, humble yourself, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Verse 53 says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. God rescues the needy and destitute. Now, I think of this verse primarily in uh, in a spiritual way. The song of the redeemed in Psalm 107, verse 9, says that God satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Here's what's amazing, though. Mary exalts a God who is mighty and powerful and rescues the helpless in light of this baby in her womb, a baby who will come into the world fragile and helpless, weak and needy. That's what it means that Jesus, the the eternal son of God, became man. He became man in every Way. He became like us in every way. He came into the world fragile and helpless, weak and needy. Jesus would come into the world and show off his rescuing power in a very different way. The Jewish hope at that time was that a Messiah would come, a military figure perhaps, and overthrow all of their oppressors, at this time specifically the Roman Empire. And Jesus came as the Messiah as the conquering king but he came to conquer in a different way in a way that seemed weak and foolish in first corinthians 1 it says that the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god And it's through the cross that Christ disarmed the demonic powers and authorities, according to Colossians 2. It's through the cross that we have been transferred from darkness to the kingdom of Christ in Colossians 1. It's through the cross that we have new life through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, according to Galatians 2. It's through the cross Christ defeated our greatest enemy of death, according to Hebrews 2. And it's through the cross and the spread of the kingdom That God's unstoppable power will have its way until Jesus comes again. Mary magnifies the Lord for his rescuing power. Have you been rescued by Jesus? Do you rejoice in his rescuing power that he has pulled you out of darkness and put you in marvelous and glorious light? And finally, Mary exalts or magnifies the Lord because of his promise-keeping faithfulness. Verses 54 and 55. Mary sees her God as one who keeps his promises, who is absolutely faithful. She sees her son as the fulfillment of God's promises to his people to be merciful Verses 54, verse 54 says, and he, God, my Lord, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, God spoke to the fathers even way back in Genesis chapter 3. He promised a Messiah, he promised a conquering king who would bruise the head of the serpent though his heel would be bruised he promised to David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne not just for a long time but forever and Mary points out Abraham here the promise to Abraham was that through Abraham and through Abraham's seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed If you remember, as we're going through the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 makes it clear. The seed of Abraham, it's not plural, it is singular, it is Christ and all who are in him. Mary is in awe of her God and Savior, and she magnifies the Lord. Now, Now we see why Mary was singing. And the question is this. Does anyone here want to join her? Does anyone else here want to sing to God because of his grace in condescending and coming to us because of his power seen in the cross and because of his promise-keeping faithfulness in fulfilling all of his promises? 2 Corinthians 1 says all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Mary carried the Lord Jesus in a special, one-of-a-kind sort of way, didn't she? There's no one else that's going to have the kind of calling and task and privilege and responsibility Mary had to carry and give birth to Jesus. She carried him in her womb. Now, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, if you have repented of your sins and believed in Christ, then in a very different way, you too carry Christ. Don't you? The promise or the, the, the Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, the mystery that was hidden from ages in, in the past that was now revealed was this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ is in you through his Holy Spirit. By and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ dwells in every blood bought child of God. This gracious, powerful, promise keeping Savior. And so, as we approach Christmas and celebrate and think about and sing about and gather with others here at church and in our homes with others and we contemplate the coming of Christ. If Christ is truly in us, this magnificent Savior, how dare we go through the season grumpy and complaining and moaning and magnifying all sorts of other things, magnifying our problems, even... Real problems, and we have real problems. See, oftentimes we put comparatively small things under the magnifying glass and they look enormous. And we forget to lift our eyes to our God and Savior and see His glory through the Scriptures as a Spirit reveals these things to us. Our Savior has come. He has come down to us in grace. He has powerfully accomplished a full and complete and fully loaded salvation for all of his people. And he has promised to come again. So magnify the Lord. Rejoice in God your Savior. You are commanded to do this. Paul commands the Philippians to, re, to rejoice in the Lord again, he says, I say, rejoice. If Mary were here today, and forget it, she's not here. The Holy Spirit's here today, okay? And so the Holy Spirit wants to encourage us this morning with Psalm 34, verse three, which Mary may have been thinking about when she said these words. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Something will be magnified in your life this next week. Something or someone will be magnified. Will it be Christ? Or will it be you? Or will it be your work? Or will it be a relational struggle? Or will it be your health struggle? Or will it be your financial struggle? Something will be magnified this next week. The psalmist, Mary, the Holy Spirit of God, God himself says, magnify the Lord and let us exalt his name together. Let's do this together. Let's help each other to magnify the Lord. Let's pray.